Welcome to the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast, where we share all things people stuff in leadership. Learn from leaders who have done the hard yards and learn from experience. Hear from expert authors about the latest insights from culture to strategy and messy people dynamics. Get tips and insights from multiple award-winning author and leadership expert herself, Zoe Routh. Now, on with the show. Hi, it's Zoe, and this is episode 201. You know, when it comes to corporate culture, it's the little things that matter. You've got to start slowly and build up from there. As a leader, there's a lot to contend with, and none more so than if you are a new leader coming into an existing firm as the new owner. That's the story of Avril Foster, who is the co-owner with her business partner, Brooke Johnson, of Phelps Reed Foster Johnson. I first met Avril years ago when she was employed at my husband's firm, so when she was still a lawyer over there, and she did a leadership program with me out in the outdoors, and we put them through their paces and put them under pressure, and she handled everything with great aplomb, I have to say. From then, I've worked with Avril and Brooke and their team to help develop their corporate culture. They did all the heavy lifting, I have to say. And Avril's been a member of Amplifiers for the last 12 months. So she is keen on improving and on learning. And in this interview, we really dive deep into her story. How did she make the decision to go from employee to business owner? And how did that pan out? What was the easy stuff? What was the hard stuff? Specifically, we dive into what makes corporate culture, how you can maintain it, and her mistakes along the way. I'm sure you're going to love it. Let's do it. Avril Foster, I am so excited to have you on the call. We've had this in the works for a long time now. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Zoe. It's lovely to be here. (laughs) You have such an extraordinary tale. I love it. And it's a story of courage and oomph and gumption. (laughs) (laughs) So at one point, you decided to stop being an employee and go into the brave new world of being an employer. Can you tell us a little bit about that decision and how it happened? Yeah, well, I guess like a lot of things in my life, it kind of crept up on me a little bit. So I was working in a reasonably large um, boutique family law firm, and I loved working there and I loved all the people I worked with. And I suppose... I was kind of on a bit of a precipice thinking about what I wanted next within that workplace and I was thinking about whether or not I wanted to kind of join join as a leader within that firm and I hadn't really gone much past that line of thinking or that level of thinking when a colleague in another firm approached me indicating that her present bosses were doing some succession planning and had been having some discussions with her about whether or not she would, I suppose, take the baton from them. That's my obviously now business partner, Brooke. And she and I were very good colleagues, I would say, and had had a lot of family law matters uh, against each other, if I could use that terminology. Really, the kind of lawyering we do is working together to try and help separating couples resolve their issues. But we were quite familiar with each other, and I hadn't really ever thought about the idea of kind of going out on your own in one respect. But both of us were very attracted to one another professionally and um, she gave me enough to prick my ears up. So we had a number of conversations which led to hours of discussions and planning, which I'm sure I'll get to a bit later on in this conversation, and decided that we were a really good 
fit for one another. And really for me, I think it was a hard decision to leave, but the tipping point for me was the idea of being somewhere a bit smaller and being able to have what I would perceive to be some more autonomy around my lifestyle because both of us had very small children at the time. I actually had a newborn and she was in the process of trying to have another baby. So in fact, her second baby was planned around our decisions within the business and thankfully um, she everything worked out as it was supposed to and all the timing. So there was a lot of planning that went into it. But yeah, certainly I think it was the smaller firm and more autonomy that really, I guess, helped me make that decision. Well, it's always leaving somewhere where you enjoy and you enjoy the people is always a challenge. And um, going on your own is always exciting. Yeah. not Actually, it's not always exciting. It can be exciting. I really want to know, though, I mean, I'm putting, this is a few years ago when you made the decision, you had little young kids, a newborn, and Brooke had a, a child and then eventually a newborn as well, thinking that you would have more autonomy and independence <laughs> as young moms running a firm. Did it pan out that way? Did you feel like you had more control and autonomy running your life? I mean, those are two major scopes of responsibility, motherhood and being a business owner. Well, we were very lucky, I would say, because we had, so the business partners that we bought the business from, Michael and Margaret, were really good with us. And we'd actually worked out an arrangement with them where they kind of hung around, like mum and dad, we used to call them, hung around for sort of mentorship purposes and I had the ability to come, I actually came and worked in the firm as an employee initially for a few months while Brooke was having her maternity leave, which gave me a bit of a lead into what I was walking into and understanding how the firm was working at that time. So it was actually, we were lucky because we were buying an existing firm and we weren't starting from scratch. I think if we were starting from scratch, it would have been a baptism of fire, but it, you know, it certainly wasn't. And we're very thankful to Michael and Margie for the tutelage and guidance that they provided us in the early days. That's for sure. I'm curious about that too, right? So the theme for the for the podcast for this quarter is developing others. And you just cited how useful it was to be mentored and supported by stalwarts and business, the previous business owners. What specific things did they do to help nurture you, not just as lawyers, but as business owners? Do you remember any specific examples where it was like a godsend to get their support? Well, this is probably really boring and dorking, but even just getting across the trust accounting regulations, you know, that's <laughs> that's not something that you just do as an employee. You just think to yourself, oh, I'm just going to go read the regulations and make sure that the trust transfer system in the firm's working as it should. So even just, you know, talking us through that without us having to read that legislation line by line, which is super dry and very long. So that's one boring example. But otherwise, even just around staff issues and particularly Margie providing some guidance and support around not taking things too personally and you know this is how staff works and sometimes they're not going to like you and you know a very it was a very motherly role in that sense I think that Margie performed which we really needed because you know when you're um, starting out you think everybody has to love you and you have to make decisions that everybody's happy with and getting some reality checks around that I think really helped us out big time. Oh, that's good. A helpful inoculation before getting hit with the, <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with the real stuff up front. Yeah. So what was the biggest learning you had going from an employee to a business owner? Probably, probably the concept of the buck stopping with you. 
initially for me that was a really frightening thing because I actually physically remember a couple of times initially where somebody would come into me with an issue and I almost felt like, you know, turning around and, and looking to the person who I'd normally look to to help me solve this issue. So that was a really obvious thing for me and I think now that that, that situation is still frightening in some regards but it's also fairly exhilarating to be to know that, you know, I've got the ability to really influence a situation, you know, not the ability that the I have to do it. So, yeah, the buck stops with you is really, that's the one I think. What's been the hardest thing so far as a leader running your own business? I think coming to the realisation that people are really complex and that sounds really obvious, but I don't think you get a real sense of that until you're running a team and, again, the buck stopping with you in terms of running that team. And knowing that not everybody, not everybody works the way that you do. So understanding that I have a particular kind of personality and maybe I started off with a particular kind of leadership, but realising that that perhaps isn't always the best way that you can run a team of people or manage a firm and learning how to adapt that, I think that was hard for me. And it's still a challenge. It's always a challenge. So describe a little bit of your style and how you've had to adapt it. So I, um, having reference to some personality work that I've done in the past with you, Zoe, actually, I'm in a fairly heavily in what's called the D quadrant, which is, um, I can't remember what the D stands for. Dominance. Dominance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So sort of, I guess, a description of dominance is a few D words under that in itself, but driven, decisive, very punctual. Don't ever be late with me because that is just rude and offensive. <laughs> Direct. That's probably a really strong one. I'm a really direct person. And those qualities are, I feel a bit like a lot of those qualities are a commonality with a lot of lawyers in particular. But in terms of running a team of staff, you know, a lot of people don't appreciate directness all the time. You know, whereas if people are direct me, I think it's fabulous. Get to the point. Great. You don't like that. Okay. Good on. You know, that's probably the grand summation of a D. I think you could probably add more to that. That was textbook. So thank you. <laughs> that was fabulous. <laughs> so in terms of adapting your behavior, and for those people who are not familiar with the DISC model, there's dominance, influence, supportiveness, and conscientiousness. Which of the behavior styles have you found, I mean, apart from the D, which you navigate naturally to, which of the other ones have you found the most useful? That's the first question. And second, which have you found to be the most challenging to do? Uh, so useful, I would say probably C, I suppose, because they're similar enough to me, but not too similar. And the reason being that they're conscientious, they're timely, got attention to detail, uh, they don't, you know, mess around too much in fluffy stuff, if I can put it like that. <laughs> um, What's fluffy stuff? <laughs> oh, you know, like in the middle of a very busy day. How was your weekend, Avril? What did you do and what do you feel about that? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, probably that sounds like I'm a real asshole, uh, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not, I'm not at all. <laughs> I love a good chat just at the right time. So, yeah, they're probably the Cs and in terms of the challenging, I would say maybe, maybe Ss, maybe Ss, just because of that element of probably less focused on getting things done within a time frame and a bit more fluid and a bit more, you know, social and chatty and 
it's kind of putting people into boxes because I am social and chatty. But like I said, it's there's a time and a place, I think, and that's probably the difference, I'd say, for me. Fabulous. So th- that was just the <laughs> classic example of dominant style struggling with supportiveness as a style because it's different in both pace and preference. So S, supportiveness likes a slower pace and it is much more focused on interpersonal relationships. And so it's not surprising you find that one the most challenging. So that was great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love it. When you do your recruiting now, how do you approach recruiting? Are you looking for replicas of who you are? Are you hiring for cultural fit? Are you hiring for values fit? Are you hiring for technical skills? What's your strategy, your leadership strategy around that? I'll always look at cultural fit first, always, because I think technical skills can be learned with good teaching and output's not as important to me. I think output will come with the right culture. So yeah, definitely it's about a cultural fit. And that's a bit tricky if you're just meeting somebody for the first time, as opposed to, you know, looking at hiring somebody who you've known for a while. But absolutely the cultural fit for me is just, there's nothing that comes more importantly than that. And how do you define that? How do you define your culture and how you would say like they're a culture fit? If I had to put it into a sentence, I would probably say that our culture is a family-focused culture and that has a few layers of meaning. It's got an obvious meaning in that um, we're two female business owners with small kids who value the ability to work to support our life, not the other way around. We see our workplace and our staff as our family as well, our work family, so treating our staff in the same manner. And the nature of the work we do, being collaborative, primarily collaborative lawyers, where we work together to help people resolve their issues, making a contract to not go to court, again, is about preserving the concept of family to an extent and respecting that concept. So that's our culture. And probably the other way we would describe it, or I certainly would describe it, is that we're in a culture of lifting others up. So if I get a sense when I'm interviewing somebody that that's not something that they would be capable of doing or willing or able to do, then they're not probably the right person for the job with us. Fantastic. You've had um, largely, mostly women in your firm. Is it still mostly women or is there a gender mix? Tell me a little bit of what's going on there. It is. Uh, so presently, yes, it's it's all women with the exclusion of Michael Phelps, who's the previous business owner. And uh, Phelpsy pops in and out from time to time and does a little bit of mentoring work uh, with one of our lawyers around estates and commercial commercial work. And I, I really love having Phelpsy around for all of the obvious reasons. He's a great guy and he's very clever and he's been, you know, a lawyer for a million years. I actually think he just had his 40th year closer to, oh, could be more than that. But it wasn't an intentional decision to not have men around predominantly. We did have a couple of male staff previously, but yeah, presently we're all women and it seems to really be working. I would love to have a male employee. So if there's anyone out there who's interested, <laughs> give me a call. <laughs> Why would you love to have a male employee? Why do you think uh, that's important? I think they bring something, I don't want to come across as sounding sexist here, but or anything ist, but I really think they bring a different dimension to a workplace. I found often working with men, there's sort of less emotion involved in things and they're not so, get so sort of wound up, don't think deeply about 
what could be a mundane interaction in the office. Also, they could talk about sport with me, which I'd really like. (laughs) Sexist comment. (laughs) That's really interesting. And um, I'm always curious about monocultures or, um, well, I guess it's kind of monoculture. I mean, there's diversity in each human being that comes to the workplace. And yet when there's not gender diversity, I'm curious about the impacts on culture. So that's a very useful insight as we get into it. I'm also wondering, like you've got three main roles. You've got your role as a lawyer. You're still practicing law. You're not just managing the firm. You've got your role as a business owner and leading the whole firm. And you've got your role as parent and wife and human. How do you manage all of those responsibilities? What's your strategy to making sure that each of those areas gets looked after? This is probably where my D personality comes in handy. So I think really carving out time in a really deliberate way for all of those elements of your life. And that probably sounds a bit regimented to some people, but for me, it's the only way I can manage it. So I'm mindful that if I'm spending a lot of time on client work, on legal work, that often would come at the expense of taking care of my staff and making sure that they're feeling heard and and the workplace is running smoothly. So the way that I'd manage that is we have really regular, I call them check-ins with staff and ask them to bring issues to me, to myself and Brooke, and give them a series of questions that they might consider and and give them an opportunity to talk to us a little about anything they want to talk to us about. And and more particularly around how the business is running. We see it as sort of a family affair and really like input from the staff around that. In terms of the family stuff, there's some non-negotiables around my diary, which, you know, Tuesdays I knock off early and the kids, I take the kids swimming and um, particular Fridays I don't work in the office and that's so that I'm able to do school drop-offs and pickups and be present in their lives in, in that way. And uh, I book a lot of holidays, not necessarily saying I make it to all of them, but I always try to, you know, book time away both with the family and independently with my husband. That's a really important thing, I think, is actually having time with your spouse away from your kids. Probably a really good tip for helping you to avoid separation if anyone was ever asking me <laughs> for that is actually <laughs> prioritising private time with with your significant other. I think people would really like to know from a family divorce lawyer how to avoid divorce. So yep. let's just ask a couple <laughs> more tips. So one is spending time with your spouse away sans enfant without kids what would be some other tips to help avoid divorce uh well you have to tackle the hard stuff because when someone comes to me to help them with their separation the first thing I say to them is this you're telling me you want to do a collaborative separation don't for one second think that this is going to be easy it's going to be hard you know and it's going to be no harder than or potentially harder than actually dealing with issues within a relationship so I think people just sometimes yeah, perhaps get shy away from having those hard conversations or finding the right way to do it with their partner. I think it's easier to separate, but, you know, often it isn't, at least not in those first few years. Any more tips for avoiding divorce? Mm. I think the other thing is, especially in the case of people with a family, with children, is finding a way to really share responsibilities. If you've got a, both people are working and your kids are in care or at school or whatever, Finding a way that both of you feel that you're 
contributing and being contributed to. So I think a lot of people that I see that a really common complaint is, oh, you know, she never did the cooking or he never helped me with the cleaning and just really, that's just really basic stuff, I think. And if everyone had the same view about, okay, how about we both, we're both contributing to this relationship in this home in, in the best way we can, lots of trouble can get avoided. So there you go. Three hot tips. That's it. <laughs> Three hot tips from a divorce lawyer who knows. That's it. <laughs> Are you still meditating? I knew you had a, you started a practice of meditation. Is that still part of your routine? Yes, it is. I told you that I did that meditation retreat back in August last year. My husband and I did that together. That was um, He had his own reasons for that and so did I. And I professionally, I thought it would be a good thing to do professionally from a leadership perspective and just from the perspective of working in a high-stress job. So, yeah, I am, but I need to be more diligent in doing it every day. I'd say probably on average I'm doing it every second day. And the days I am doing it, I do it with my staff. Cool. Yeah, most of them kind of totter into my office and we shut the door and put the phones on answer for five or ten minutes in the morning and um, do a guided meditation, which is a nice way to start the day. And that's really interesting. And how, what kind of effect has that had on the office environment when you do that? They all really seem to like it. And initially I actually thought I wouldn't get any buy-in with it, but I just sort of threw out an open invite and said, you know, no pressure if you want to come in and join me. You know, I'll start at 9.05 and pretty much everybody came in, which floored me to a degree, and then they just kept coming. And I think they've all kind of said that they really feel like it's a nice way to start the day, kind of clearing the mind and remembering the important things and just taking time to have a breath before you get into the day. I wouldn't mind trying it sort of halfway through the day to see what impact that has because that's a nice time. I think once you've already started the day and you may be feeling a bit stressed and had a few hard conversations and it could be a good time to take stock. Did it feel strange asking the staff to join you? Like were you kind of nervous about it or do you just went, oh well, let's have a crack? No, I'm I'm not very I'm not very shy about that type of stuff. And they'd all known that I'd done the meditation retreat. And to a degree, I think they were all like, oh, here she goes again with another one of her kooky ideas. And then I think they were all kind of oh, actually, this is really cool and I can see the benefits in this and it's not so kooky. What are the kooky ideas have you had? Oh, I just I just like to keep things fresh, I guess, which is sort of my sense of I think having a fun workplace is really important and I've um, always tried to work in places or, or at least be part of the fun or start some fun. So, you know, we do... At the moment, this is part of the mindfulness regime, but we've got a sticker chart and uh, there are different ways that you can earn stickers. And once we get to certain points on this chart, we'll get a prize. So, for example, some of the things you can do to earn yourself a sticker might be a 10-minute meditation. A lot of them are directed at health and taking the stairs instead of the elevator or doing 20 push-ups, you know, in the middle of the day, health and mindfulness. Or we've recently amended it with sort of some acts of kindness type stuff. So, you know done a kind thing or not reacted badly when somebody upset you or so just things like that with a office full of women the prize of a manicure is always great incentive so <laughs> everyone's loved that that's so cool <laughs> you want to come and earn stickers at your firm <laughs> yeah I like and we've got a, our phones and our staff probably hate it I'm sure they do but our phones have this function where you can you can put yourself on speaker for every phone in the whole office so I'm a big believer in uh, speaking to everyone 
over the phone like I'm God or something, usually with <laughs> not sensible comments. <laughs> Anyhow, things like that. So you have like message from Avril, goddess of the day yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, thought for the day and head on down for some meditation. You know, I used I actually used to work at Woolworths and I used to shut this when I, this is when I was at uni, I used to shut the store. And I think once I even did the Woolworths closing store message and I I could just hear the ripples of, ah, oh, what's she doing now? <laughs> when you're in a high stress job, sometimes you do these things. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a good it's a good stress relief just to be a bit silly. Yeah. And do you do a closing the office at the end of the day? I haven't done that one yet, but there's plenty of years for me to play around with that function on the phone. <laughs> I'll have all sorts of tricks up my sleeve. <laughs> what have you tried that fell flat? Anything? Uh, when I first got here, so staff meetings weren't happening and I introduced the idea of having a monthly staff meeting and I recall the first few meetings and I recall talking to Brooke about it and just feeling so deflated by how unenthused everybody was, you know, why why are we here and what's the purpose of this and what a waste of, you know, an hour and nobody spoke and it was just, for me, it was just a real slap in the face because I was so enthusiastic for a get around the table and how was your weekend and okay, let's talk about what happened in such and such as case last week and how great that was. And I just got nothing back. So that was a bit flat. What did you learn from that? Well, I think what I learned from it was, in retrospect, the reason for the response was because it was something they'd never been exposed to before. And they actually, they didn't understand really the the what or the why and couldn't see the value in it necessarily because it was a new thing for them. So it took a few goes and really being persistent with it and getting through the whole ego reaction to get it to take hold. And I think once once the staff realised the value in it and why we were doing it and the fact that it was actually an opportunity for us to get around the table in one group, not necessarily to only talk about work stuff, it's actually really valuable, particularly, you know, to the concept of culture and family, if I would use our word, togetherness, all of that. So it took a while to do that. And it's quite an interesting challenge. Like instead of um, like a lot of entrepreneurs leave their jobs, if they started in a job to set up their own place and have run of houses, <laughs> one way to say it, you know, you set up your own team, but you stepped into an existing team, yeah. an existing establishment with two of the business owners still there. What was it like to navigate the culture shift with that? Because I'm thinking about the staff. So they've had these two long-standing, well-respected leaders who'd been there for ages. And then there was these two young women, one of whom was a peer who got promoted into a leadership role and somebody from the outside, you, coming in to now be their leader. What was the culture shift experience like for you? It was tricky, I guess, in some ways, because we had a fair bit to manage with it. You know, being mindful that the former business owners were still in the business and, finding a way to pay homage to what they built over 30 years, yet knowing that we needed to change some things, but trying to do that whilst balancing respect for them and what they built, that was quite tricky amongst a body of staff who were very loyal to the previous business owners and probably was a bit harder for me coming in from the outside and 
my mistake maybe was that I thought, you know, immediately they'd like me and respect me as a leader and that was naive, naive of me to think. I really had to earn my stripes with them. Certainly couldn't have been doing any microphone gigs back in those days. They would have booted me out the door. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a really important observation because just because you have the title doesn't mean people are going to go, oh, great, wonderful, you're here. Did you feel like they eyed you with suspicion or what was the kind of emotional response to you? Yeah, yeah, there was a little bit and there was a bit of what's she on about, why does she think these things need to be changed, everything's fine. It kind of almost might have been taken personally in a sense, like we're all doing fine and what do you think's wrong with us that you think X, Y, Z might need to be changed or done differently? So that was a bit tricky as well because obviously that stuff's not personal but there's many ways you can skin a cat when it comes to running a business and um, particularly running a law firm. And I'm into innovation and I'm into trying to do things differently and find a way to establish yourself as a different branding in the market because so many law firms are pretty similar. And, you know, we're all about trying to find a way to do it differently and look after our clients differently and look after our staff differently. And I think we're doing pretty well at that right now. So what's the time span? So just to give people who are listening a sense of you know, what was the time span of it? So how long has it been since you first arrived on the scene to now? So I first arrived as an employee in April 2017. Brooke and I purchased the business and took the business over from the 1st of Jan 18. Okay. So that's what, three three years, just almost to the day, really. Yeah. And when did you notice like the tipping point where it really did feel like yours and Brooke's firm? How long did it take? Oh, at least a year, maybe mid, midway through 19, we really kind of felt that we had our groove on and the training wheels are off and Michael and Margie kind of weren't really around as much. Not that that was ever a bad thing. Um, I think that relationship has always been really great, but just kind of feeling like the umbilical cord had been cut and we weren't necessarily needing that mentorship as much. We still run things by them from time to time. You'd be silly not to when you've got so much experience available to you with people who really want to help you. But, yeah, probably a year and a half in. Yeah, nice. So how do you define success? I think I think having a happy team, yet happy is a subjective concept. And I suppose that ties back to really knowing your team because if you really know your team and you know your people, you know when they're happy. And you know when they're not happy. But yeah, I think having a happy team because that will lead to a synergistic workplace, which leads to productivity, which leads to business doing well, which means you can invest money in doing, you know, things for and with your people. So um, training and continuing professional development, as we call it in our profession, fun stuff like sticker charts with manicures or staff retreats. So it all ties in, I think, to happiness and looking after your people. Success, yeah. Just saying, I want sticker chart and staff retreats. <laughs> <laughs> you could certainly come here and earn a sticker for the chart, and if you got enough, I'm sure we could bend the rules to uh, include you in the prizes. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Um, so you've lost, your, not lost, your mentors are kind of around but not really around anymore. How do you keep yourself developing? Is that something that's important to you? 
Yes, absolutely. That's one of the reasons I did that meditation retreat, which is probably a fairly outside the box way to look at leadership for some people maybe. But that's one of the things is I'm always kind of looking for new opportunities in that regard. And I don't know that necessarily you can stumble across them. So you kind of have to know people in the know. So obviously knowing people like you, Zoe, is a really handy thing because, you know, you, you kind of know the things that I'm into or that might be useful for me. So you'd make some recommendations. But I think the other big thing is talking to other business owners and or other leaders and really kind of workshopping ideas with them. Sometimes that can be a bit tricky with other family lawyers, but I've got some pretty good relationships with with others in similar positions around town who are really keen to workshop stuff with me, which is a bit unusual, I suppose, if you consider yourselves as competitors. But there's a level of collegiality, I think, in our community, which is really, which is really great. And, you know, of course, people in completely different professions, which is really helpful too, because even though they're not doing the same thing, they're, they're experiencing the same issues and, you know, might have different perspectives on similar situations. So that's been really helpful too. I like lots of long lunches with all sorts of people. <laughs> I want long lunches too. <laughs> uh, you know, you pay the price, but um, but a good long lunch is actually a really excellent learning opportunity from a leader leadership and business perspective. That's fantastic. So last question for you, people stuff, right? So what do you find easy about the people stuff in leadership and what do you find challenging? So probably the... The toughest thing I think for me has been adapting my personality style and being able to kind of snap out of being that direct person when I know that that's not the way I can properly speak with somebody, for example. That's been a real challenge for me and something I have to really work at every day and even, you know, preparing for a difficult conversation. I'll need to work myself through all of the things I need to know about doing that. Now, I, something I say to myself often is, two ears, one mouth, two ears, one mouth. <laughs> it's like a mantra before I, you know, am going into a hard conversation, you know, whether it's with a staff member or a client or, you know, another lawyer. So that's been something that I keep working on and probably that'll be it for life, I imagine. Um, probably the easiest has been working with my business partner, Brooke. That's been really easy. And that was an easy question to answer. We're very um, yin and yang. And I think that's probably been why we've worked so well because we're so different yet so complementary we really think that we're pretty clear on which skills each of us could improve and which skills we've both got that we're nailing and it just feels a little bit like it all connects together in one nice circle so that's been super easy oh that's really nice and that's not always the case. I mean, there's plenty of business partnerships that have gone south because of conflict in the relationship. And that's really wonderful um, that you've managed to find each other, like your aliens who have become allies, you know, you're so different and, and complementary. Yeah. And that's good that you've managed to get to that space. Good on you. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's great. That's very flowery language, isn't it? Beautiful. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> There you go. You know, so you're not so hardcore, dominant, no. direct all the time. No, that's my <laughs> S coming out. <laughs> I love it. Avril, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was really, really insightful. I love some of the things that you're doing in your firm, and it's great to hear your story. Thanks so much, Zoe. It's a pleasure. 
That was so much fun. I really enjoyed hearing Avril's story. She's such a clever individual and a fun human being. Some of the key takeaways for me are success is a happy team. I think that's just brilliant. And it's important to remember that. So from a happy team cascades everything else. I love also the sticker thing. <laughs> I'm highly motivated by things like stickers and awards and prizes. So uh, no surprise, that comes up a Trump uh, winner for me. I think uh, that's awesome. The other thing I enjoyed about her insights were the idea around long lunches and that long lunches can be a huge leadership and learning opportunity. So yeah, let's bring on the long lunches and stickers. <laughs> that would make for me as a happy staff member, that's for sure. Now, a couple of reminders. The great podcast giveaway is on. If you would like a free actual journal that you can write in, our People Stuff journal, then all you need to do is leave us a rating and a review on one of the podcast platforms. Now, you can't just leave it and walk away. We need to know that it was you. So once you do that, hit the link in the show notes, which gives you a form to fill out, which tells us where you left the review and your postal address so we can mail out a journal. We've got 30 of these suckers to give away. Once they're gone, they're gone. So get in quick. And at the end of the podcast giveaway, which runs through March, March 2021, we will select the five best ones and you'll get a grand prize of a journal, a copy of People Stuff, the book itself, and our very special fancy People Stuff mugs. Okay, so that's a call to action there. Make sure you rate and review and tell us that you did and you will get something for your pains. <laughs> we call this an ethical bribe. The second thing I need to tell you about is next week. Next week, it's the middle of the quarter. Can you believe it already? We are halfway through this 90-day quarter. So we're going to have a special episode on mid-quarter reflections. Is it time to change track, step up the pace, slow down the pace, whatever is right for you? And then we also have an interview with the fabulous Gabrielle Dolan. She has a brand new book out called Magnetic Stories. And she's fabulous, and you'll love that too. Okay, in the meantime, from now until then, live well, lead well. You've been listening to the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast with leadership expert Zoe Routh. For more about people stuff and to contact Zoe, go to zoerouth.com.com.